Well, good morning. Great to be here with you. And I want to say that, again, I am excited. I am really excited. Are you guys excited today? Have you read this chapter today? Well, I started out like this last week. I'm excited. And as we get into the text, you'll see why we're excited. Not so much maybe exactly in my words, but what the Word of God is here, and it is just mind-blowing. What's the most magnificent scene you could ever see and experience? What is it? What is it? It's, we had a glimpse of this last week in chapter uh, 4, and if you, uh, if you didn't hear that, you can always look on uh, YouTube or Facebook, look my name up, and uh, the message will be there. Usually I get it there sometimes Sunday, so if you want somebody to check something out of what we do and what we're, how we're doing it, it's just a matter of helpfulness. Uh, also on our website is the audio of it. If you want to go into that, I, uh, it's, it's just amazing. Not, not the sermon itself, I'm just saying the, the text. I'm not trying to brag myself up, but it, it is. It, it uh, is a highlight of all the Bible. One of the many highlights, but uh, it is amazing. The living Word of God, uh, the very revelation of Jesus Christ in His blazing, brilliant glory that we look at in um, chapter 4, chapter 5, it's put in human language, and so we do the best that we can with uh, descriptions using uh, those brilliant stones uh, using the the throne room, that illustration with 24 elders around, and the angels, and you know you think of the uh, living creatures. What a sight it is! The colors and the radiance that's happening in this throne room. It's something to be excited about. It's the whole spectrum of colors that are there. Magnificent. We gaze at the very glory of God. This is one of the chapters that you want to look at when you do that. Uh, very glory of God. Uh, compare it to the best that we can think of. And that's what God does here as He gives these tremendous refracting light views that we have and all that's around the throne. You know, a truly awesome sight it is, but... That is in word. One of these days, we will see him as he is in his glory, and we too will have glorified eyes to really see what this is, and it'll go far beyond this description that we have in this human language. So it's quite breathtaking. It's what we had last week. It took my breath away, and it continues on in chapter 5. Uh, verses 5 and 6 are going to be the highlight. I'm going to try to go through the first four verses kind of rapidly if I can. 5 and 6 is what I want to feature because there is one of my favorite theologians who wrote a sermon on this called The Lion and the Lamb. Uh, the, 
the excellencies of Christ, the excellencies of Him being a lamb, and the excellency of Him being a lion. It's hard to imagine one being a lion while they're a lamb. And Jonathan Edwards described that in just staggering ways that has always been awesome. So I am going to borrow a lot from him when we get into those two verses. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest theologian philosophers that this nation has ever known. Or that any nation has ever known. Quite the thinker that he was. And he wrote tremendous works. And if you get a chance today, Jonathan Edwards, remember that, Look it up on the internet, Jonathan Edwards, Lion and the Lamb, Divine Excellencies, anything along that lines. And that whole sermon will be put there. There's one of them that's done in a little bit more of a modern English, so if you have a little bit of trouble with ye old English, then you can go to that. It's you know Either way, they're very, very similar, but um, just read it if you get the chance. It's awesome. I'm going to try to get the highlights out of that when we get into verses 5 and 6, although I probably will be cheating Edwards in a way, but I will tell you that the beauty of Christ is described here in the Lion and the Lamb. Why is He the one who is worthy? The only one worthy. Who is worthy enough to give us paradise? Who is worthy enough to reverse the curse of sin? Christ the Lord, our Savior, is the one This is a monumental chapter, folks. Get it. It will amaze you. You will be in awe. You will be in such awe that you will want to worship Him as the 24 elders, as the angels did, as the four living creatures did. We will not get to that passage today. We will do that next time whenever we are in Revelation. Next week's actually uh, probably will be our Christmas celebration, message, and and, uh, worship. And so, uh, be prepared to do even more singing next week as we do a lot of joyous Christmas songs. But this is a monumental chapter and it answers those questions about who is the one who is worthy that will give us paradise to reverse the curse. He is the person who has the power and the authority to take back the very universe that had been stolen. And so, we know that Satan usurped, and he did it in rebellion against God, he usurped his authority. That one person that can take him down, easily, by the way, is the main character of this chapter 5. He's the central person in this glorious vision. He is the central person in all of the Bible. Let's read this text. Let's stand and honor God's great Word that He is allowing us to glimpse into today. Chapter 5, verse 1, I saw on the right hand of Him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed up with seven seals, and I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth 
or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, look, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Let's pray. Great holy God, how can we thank You enough for a passage like this? In a time when we need much encouragement, You are giving it to us right here, right now. I can't think of a better word of encouragement than what we just read. We have the Lamb who died for us. The Lion who rules in the kingdom and will judge sin to its ultimate. He's the one. The Lion Lamb. We rejoice for what He has done for us, is doing and will do for eternity. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Who is worthy? Who is worthy? First part here is the scroll with seven seals. It's in the right hand of God. Right hand of the Father. John is still at the throne in his vision. Are you ready to see this? This will open up what's going to happen in chapters 6 through 19 as he gets the book to the one who is worthy. And all of a sudden, we will see, starting in chapter 6, the judgments from the wrath of the Lamb. They will be very visible very pictorial, very illustrated in that section. So it's a scroll. It's a book, as it might read here, but it's really a scroll. It's made of papyrus sheets that are stitched together. It's not like a book that we have today. It's a scroll that's all rolled up. And it is stitched together. About 15 of those would be papyrus sheets which would be like what the book of Revelation would be. And that is sealed by seven seals. The Romans used seals in their official documents. The Jews used seals also for their scrolls and their documents. There would be seven witnesses that would seal this document. If somebody owned land and they lost the land because of some unforeseeable situation, maybe dealing with money, whatever it is, they are the ones who have the right to the land if they are the ones who can show proof that they can redeem it. 
So they would take these documents, these scrolls, put the seals on it. The only one who can open that up, that scroll, with those seals being there, is the one who is, has the right to redeem his land back. And so there's only one who can open that up. It would be a crime if anyone else would open that up to try to open those seals up. It's a seven-sealed scroll and it speaks of a title deed. Get that. This is a title deed. This scroll in Revelation 5 is a title deed to the creation of all the universe. Who created it? God. God did. Christ has the right to have it. Not just because of creation though, but because of redemption. He has redeemed His people. And He has the right. So the scroll is in the right hand of the one who sits on the throne. It's in that Father's hand. The one who is the mighty God. And it must be God's will. It is His testament for this planet. It's right in the palm of God as this will be taken, this little scroll. God has it. He has it rightfully. It's the official document that grants the created universe to God by ownership. The contents of the scroll are sealed inside of it. There's a summary on that scroll uh, really basically of what it is about. Right there on the outside, on the inside of the contents, which we will begin in chapter 6, of course. The Lamb will break those seals. This is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this whole book is about, isn't it? It's actually revealing Christ. Always keep that in mind. It's the revelation of the apocalypse. It's the unveiling, the apocalypse of Christ. We keep that in mind. It will help us as we read through all of this. And this will be the wrath of God that is unleashed. Judgments are going to be coming from the throne based out of what's in this book. The scroll is unrolled. It will not tell us why God owns it, but it will tell us how He's going to take it over. God does rule and reign. We don't see that happening right now, do we? But we know in the spiritual kingdom He has always reigned, always eternally. But yet, in the physical aspect, and of this earth that's still sinful and it's still cursed, we know that it needs to be redeemed. People are redeemed, but our bodies still have not been redeemed, even though we are now new men, new women of God, if we trusted in Him. So now it says here, verse 2, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. Uh, don't know who it is. Who knows? Could be Gabriel. It's a strong angel. Strong angels have strong voices. I will tell you throughout Revelation, it is loud there. It's not quiet. It's loud. The angel is loudly proclaiming. 
Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? He says that loud and clear. There's the strong angel, a powerful voice. Much more powerful than what I could take this microphone and scream at it. I will not do that. No one anywhere is worthy. What he's trying to say is simply this. It's impossible for any human being or any angel, any created being, to be the heir of the kingdom on their own. The reason we are heirs of the kingdom is because of Christ. Christ alone. That's the only reason we are heirs to this kingdom. All men, all women, all people throughout the history of mankind are sinners. Starting with Adam and Eve all the way up to now, and that means you. You are sinners. You've affronted a holy God who is almighty. He's perfect in all of His ways, and we are not. No one is worthy to open the book. No one is worthy to become the heir. No one has the authority. No one has the power to do that. And so it says right here that verse 4, Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. It's a sad state. Nobody can redeem People or this earth. One day there will be new heavens and a new earth. It looks as if no one's going to inherit it. But you know, it's good that John weeps here. This is the Apostle John. He's weeping because now it's good because it's going to enable him to understand even better it takes a Redeemer like the Lord our Savior to redeem us. To redeem this world. Hosea writing in chapter 13 verse 9 about this prophecy says of Israel, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. That fine illustration there, doesn't it? It's like all humanity, all man has destroyed themselves, but in me, in Christ, in the Messiah, is your help. John knew that Jerusalem had been destroyed in 70 A.D. Historically, that happened. The Romans came to Jerusalem, destroyed the city, just laid it flat, burned it. People were killed, maybe a million Many were spread out all over. Went into different countries to get away from this persecution of the Roman Empire. He knew that it had been destroyed. You see, he's living 25 years later, somewhere thereabouts, after the fact that this has happened. This is why this is in the future, even to John. Some people explain all of these judgments are at 70 A.D. at Jerusalem. But why would he be writing into the future talking about something that has happened in the past? That was bad, it was horrible, but there's something more coming. And so, John realizes this, that Judaism 
was responsible for killing the Messiah, as well as the Romans, as well as us, our sin. But he knew that the Jews had killed Jesus, the Messiah. Who's worthy? John knew that there was no king to defend them on the earth. The Jews who were on the earth at 95 AD, and they're spread out everywhere. There's no king to redeem Israel, is there? Who's worthy? And then John starts weeping greatly. He's just bawling. Because no one was found worthy to open the book and look into it. That is what we heard in the prayer a while ago, that we must realize that we have not the least bit to offer God for salvation. That's the Gospel, folks. First thing you have to know is that you are not worthy and you have nothing to offer God because if you try to offer something to God, that's a stench because there's nothing there. He will take you as you are if you come to Him empty-handed and say, I am a sinner not worthy of your glory. Anyway, you see, when Jesus came, the first time, He was like a lamb. He was not like the lion. What do the people want? They want a lion because why? They are oppressed. They need a lion to come in and take over. To take rule. That is what that is all about. They need a redeemer. Why do they look for a king? A lion? When you think of king, you think of the king of the jungle. Of all the animals who's at the top of the food chain. The lion, of course. Everyone knows that. Well, in Genesis 49 very first book of the Bible, right at the end of it, there's a prophecy there. Verse 8 through 10. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Right? Verse 8. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion who dares rouse him up, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. What was this about? We see the lion, we see Judah, and of course Judah was the one that the king was really going to come from, and of course we think of David, and the dynasty of David and all the other kings after him, Solomon and so on and so forth. 
And that was the tribe of Judah. They were all from Judah. Judah is mentioned here. The lion is mentioned here. Who do the scholars of Old Testament history look to? One who would come from Judah. So we see that in Genesis 49, 8-10. He's a redeemer. He'll come from Judah. He's going to be universally reigning over all, even the world, not only Israel. Now, take that illustration of a lion. The lion is at home in a fight. The lion is always attacking for the next meal. The Messiah is a lion. The Messiah, as the lion, has a fight with the forces of evil, the forces of darkness. The Messiah will win. He will overcome. Now the great Messiah, Savior, King, our Jesus, is of the tribe of Judah. And we get that from the book of Matthew, the genealogy, and that line that is given there that he has the right to be considered to come from that right tribe. A lion is known as being fierce, right? He is one who has strength and power, destruction, devastation. It speaks of the Messiah, of his strong, powerful nature. A destructive nature a lion has, and it can be deadly. And that is why the Israelites as a whole, as a nation, killed Jesus. Even the apostles didn't get it. They weren't the ones who arrested and killed Him, of course. But, they were looking for a lion-like figure with the power and the destruction to be able to take on the tyrants, the oppressive Roman Empire, and that they could be their own nation. I like sovereign nation United States. I don't want to be a part of a one world system, do you? But what if that happens? That's what much of those leaders who have been installed as taking charge, that's what they want. Talk to every one of them, they'll say that. You see, we too would want somebody to take that over. We have that desire. We want to be sovereign. Israel was not sovereign. They wanted a king, a lion-like figure of destruction coming in. And it says here in Revelation 5, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. Well, he did not overcome. He did not war against the Roman Empire at all. That was not his purpose when he came here. There was nothing nothing devastating about him. Where was the fierceness of this lion, this king? They viewed the Messiah that would come would come in and rip and tear and destroy the enemies. Right? That's what they want. If he would have done that, they all would have followed him. There will be a lot of people follow the Antichrist because he's going to show a lion-like power. He is going to be one who looks invincible. He will be considered to be the Messiah and all the world will go after him. But I will tell you, Jesus, the Messiah, 
has a lion-like judgment. What He judged when He came here to the earth was our sin the first time that was at the cross. We still wait for that day when He comes back as the lion. The lamb came the first time even though He was a lion. The lion wasn't seen. The lamb was. The lamb is what takes away our sin. If the lion came, we'd all been destroyed and we'd be in hell. We would be nothing without any hope. The lamb died for us. Now we look for the lion to come back to judge this earth in its wickedness and evil. And yet at the same time, he is the lamb and we are his bride called the Bride of the Lamb, which you'll see later on at the end of the book. So, the root of David. What's going on here? Stop weeping. Behold. Look. Right? Behold. Get this. Check this out. Look at the beauty. Look at the majesty of the King. And what does he see? The lion of Judah. He was born of the tribe of Judah. Mary, his mother, the virgin, the virgin born son of God, is from the tribe of Judah. She was, and actually Joseph even was too. He has every right. Because if he's not from Judah, then it's not him. So you start with that. There are many other ones. We could do the Christmas story. And of course, we read the uh, Genesis 49 about Shiloh coming and such. That's always used near Christmas time. You've seen that passage before, haven't you? That we read in Genesis 49. Well, now, the root of David. Oh, yeah. Good. We've got a pretty good amount of time left. We gotta do this. Isaiah 11. Folks, this is marvelous. It's a wonder. Isaiah 11, it's written like 700 years before Christ, before Christ comes. Let's look at a prophecy, and this is one of the reasons why that we can trust the Bible. When things are written about the Messiah and they come true 700 years later, it happened. You can say that there is no other book that has those prophecies like that that come true. Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse. You'd say, who's Jesse? Well, Jesse is David's father. You see, we just now mentioned about the root of David. Jesse is in that line. He will give. Uh, he will be in. David will be in his loins, right? The stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. That will be David, King David. The Spirit of the Lord. By the way, now catch this in verses two. In verse two, you're going to get the seven spirits. 
which you will see, and you have already seen in Revelation a few times, about the seven spirits of God. And it is seen here in the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on Him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and strength. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. There's seven right there when you get into Revelation and where we're at today and about the seven spirits, the seven eyes, right? We'll get into that. Verse 3. Let's just go ahead. I was just going to use verse 1 but and verse 10, but boy, read the rest of this in between. Here we go. And He, it's about the Messiah. He's going to spring forth from Jesse. Ultimately, it's not just David, but it's the Messiah. It's Jesus. Watch. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what His eyes see, nor make a decision by what His ears hear, but with righteousness He will judge the poor. Guys, did you get that? Don't you long for the day that there will be true judging righteousness? We're not getting it. We're not getting it in the civil courts, other courts, Supreme Court. It's not happening, is it? But you read this, one day we will get perfect righteousness. Justice. He will judge the poor in righteousness. And decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And He will strike the earth with the rod of His mouth. This is more than just David, isn't it? And with the breath of His lips, He will slay the wicked. There's the lion. Also righteousness will be the belt about His loins. And faithfulness, the belt about His waist. And the wool. Now, now it describes the time when this is going to be. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. And also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of of Jesse, Jesus, the Messiah, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, the nations, and His resting place will be glorious. Now, what do you think of that? That's amazing. That's the righteous reign of the branch who is the Messiah. It's Jesus. This is foretold, folks, 700 years before Christ comes. And it reaches all the way on into the Millennial Kingdom. All the way on through eternity. And we know that that hasn't happened yet because if you, you know, you notice dealing with the lion and the lamb and lion eating 
straw like an ox and little kids playing with snakes. No danger at all. Wow, this is going to be marvelous. That has never happened here. At one time in paradise there was not the curse. The curse happened and destroyed everything. It affected everything. That's why we say total depravity. It means not as bad as we can be, but it does mean in every area, our person, our very being, our souls were affected, our physical lives were affected, health is affected, everything you do is affected. And a a curse came upon the earth. One day there will be paradise, and it will even be better than what Adam and Eve had before sin, before the curse happened. Because it will be absolute perfect glory and with no chance to sin ever again. Much better. That's what I want to see. That's what I know will happen because we have text here that verify it. These are manuscripts. And manuscripts are something to look at. If they foretell, that's even better. He came here the lion lamb did, but nobody saw the lion. They saw something else. So he existed before David, but he also is in the kingly line of David. His deity, his humanity. Before David, he's always been here. After David, he was in the tribe of Judah like David only much more he's the man God David was a man but a man after God's own heart who ruled righteously here is one who can the lion so he points to the lion he's the overcomer Verse 6, here we go. The Lamb, the Lamb is standing. And I saw between the throne, and he accents this with the four living creatures and the elders. Remember them? We've already seen them. Chapter 4. A Lamb standing as if slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Sent all of to all the earth. Exciting. This is exciting. The lion, now the lamb, in the midst of the saints, in the midst of the angels, midst of the 24 elders, the cherubim, and someone moves in that area of the throne. Who is it? John's thinking the lion and out on the stage if I can say that is the lamb. He just saw the lion and all of a sudden poof, it's the lamb. As if what? He's standing. He's not dead. He's alive. And it looks like as if he was killed. As if he was slain. It's showing the wounds of death. What happened at the cross, right? By the way, that word for lamb, it's fascinating. 
It means a little lamb. Who would have ever written a story like this? This is the most incredible story in all the land. Of all time, there's nothing like it. And they never disagree. Old and New Testaments support each other over hundreds of years. Forty different authors. And they're all saying the same thing. Folks, we're looking at Christ right here. How beautiful is this? A lion and a lamb. How can he be? How can this be? I'm sure John is saying that. It's a lamb. It's a pet lamb. It's a little lamb. Do you know in Exodus 12, they were taught to do the Passover, to bring in a little lamb that's spotless. To bring him in, and to bring him in with the family. And they fall in love with this little pet, like a pet does with a family. He just takes, you know, that and... And then they are to kill that lamb. The throat is to be slipped and the blood to gush out. And you had that lamb in your household, but yet you were told to sacrifice that lamb. The sacrificial lamb. That's what the Passover is about. That's what the daily sacrificial lambs were about. And the weekly sacrificial and the feast were all about. The sacrifice of the lamb. The oxes, bulls, goats, lambs. Wow. You know, Isaiah 53 mentions about a lamb. A lamb before his shearers. Do you remember that? That's one text. We've looked at Exodus 12, but that was really an allusion to what really what was really going to take place at the cross because Jesus is the Lamb who died at the cross to take away our sins. Did the lambs that they did when they had the weekly and the daily sacrifices and the Passover, did that take away their sin? No, it was just symbolic. The only way that their sin could be taken ahead of or taken care of would be looking ahead to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The lambs did not do that. It was a picture till Christ the Lamb would come. Oh, what a picture it was. So, here in Isaiah 53, the Lamb before its shears. In Jeremiah 11, 9, uh, it says that uh, you have, he's described as Lamb. You'll find the Messiah described there in 11, 19, I believe is what it is. So there's two Old Testament texts that point to Christ. You don't really see a lot about it other than continual sacrifices. Of course, we know that's really what that's about. John 1. John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you're going, what? Where? Who? Him? Later on in John 1, he says to his disciples and his followers, and here's where he lost them. He says, look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know what they did? They left John the Baptist and they went to Jesus. And they followed Him then after that. You bet. 
John the Baptist is just a man. He was the way shower. He was waiting for the Messiah to come. And he says, here he is, guys. This is what the Old Testament talked about. Behold, there he is, right there. They knew it. He knew it then. The Lamb. Well, that's two instances in the in the New Testament. Uh, Acts 8.32 will mention that too. And it quotes from Isaiah 53 where it talks about the Lamb before its shearers, which is the Messiah. So there's three times... And then in 1 Peter 1.19 are the words that tell us that He's a lamb without blemish and without spot. That His blood is what is precious. And He is the unblemished lamb. He's what the little lamb animals were pointing to. He's the one. So four times in the New Testament couple of times in the Old Testament, that's like six times. Behold, check this out. From here on, from Revelation to the end, 28 times the Lamb of God. The Lamb. I think that is significant. And that's what we're going to look at as we look through the rest of Revelation We're going to look at the Lamb, who also is the Lion making these judgments, devouring this earth. And when He comes back on that white horse, the Lion, the Lamb, He will make everything just. It will be the way that He's always wanted it. So now, we get the idea of the Lamb, right? Standing alive as if slain. He redeemed us through the first time as a lamb. The precious blood of the lamb that takes away our sin. You know what? Right there at the cross, He actually defeated sin, death, hell. He did it. He defeated all enemies. And so it says, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Seven, seven, seven. What's seven? Throughout all revelation, it's perfection. Completion. God's number is seven. Man's number is six. Comes short of the perfection or the glory of God. Man is not God. Man is a sinner. He comes short. There is one known as the Antichrist. And what is his number? Six, six, six. Claiming to be the Messiah. The Christ an evil man that he is. Wicked. He is not seven. He is triple six. The holy satanic order will be in place for seven years. It's going to be led by this man and Satan, of course, leading all of it. 
seven completions. Seven horns. Horns on an animal speaks of what? Power. It speaks of animals who are in combat. Seven. Seven horns. Seven eyes. Seven eyes. God is the all-seeing, omniscient one, isn't He? He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He understands all things. He's all wise. He's all knowledge. Praise God. Perfect in that He is. He knows what's going today. What's going on in our own lives. You know what? He's right here with us. We don't see Him, but He sees us. And then He sees into our hearts. And He sees those who desire to love Him and worship Him. He sees that. And He takes great pleasure when His people worship Him. You say, how am I worshiping? Well, I'm reading the Word of God right now. You, I mean, you guys are reading it. By the power of His Spirit, you're going, I can't wait till He comes back. But even now, it's great. It's going to be better. But it's great because He lives in me. He lives in this church. He lives in all believers. He also sees all sin. Now, I quickly now want to go to Jonathan Edwards' sermon that I have to borrow some from. I kind of briefly have given you an outline of that. And... Uh... We are actually on number four. Number three was about the lamb, right? We did Isaiah, right? It's a lot of stuff already. Jonathan Edwards says this a lot better than anybody I have ever read in these two verses. You, you, you probably know by now, he's one of my all-time favorites. John Owen is right there with him too. Thomas Watson. <laughs> Which I want to remind you guys, if you don't have it, we have our monthly newsletter back on the table. Sometimes I like to just give them out. Make sure you get one if you don't have it. If you lost it, grab another one. I think there's plenty back there. Please do, because it's definitely fitting with this. It's talking about the really the incarnation of Christ and such, and uh, Thomas Watson uh, is our contributor there on that front page. I took tremendous delight reading that. I didn't write it. And I know she doesn't want me to say anything, but Audrey, <laughs> thanks a lot for, for giving. And you have really put down some really good people, uh, whether it be Spurgeon and many, many others. Um, these are some of my favorite people. Edwards was a Puritan. In the 1700s, shortly probably before the Revolutionary War, he wrote this. He, he's one of ours. A lot of the Puritans that you read from are from England. This, this guy's from America. <laughs> the most famous. Lion and the Lamb. The excellencies of Christ. Here is one thought right, th right underneath there if you're looking at uh, the screen. It says, there is an admirable conjunction or meeting of diverse and paradoxical elements in the person of Jesus Christ. He said, what did I just read? Look at it again. That's why I've got it there. I've got it on your outlines. There's an admirable. We admire this conjunction, this meeting 
of, and it's a paradox, lion, lamb. Isn't that a paradox? How can He be both <laughs> in the person of Jesus Christ? That is really what this about. The, the, the diverse excellencies of both the lion and the lamb meet in Jesus Christ. I don't know whether it's that amp or whether it's the PA. I'm thinking it was that amp that was making such weird noises. Did you guys hear that? Okay, Carolyn did. The diverse excellence. Diverse means what? Variety. A variety. And they can be what may seemingly be opposite. But yet, and these are considered to be excellencies or great qualities. The lamb and the lion meet in the person of Christ. Now, Edward says, John saw a lamb who prevailed to open the book. He did his job at the cross. It is now a lamb who's going to break open the seals so we can see what is going to happen in the future. It's only Christ that's going to open these seals up. Considering a lion, he's a devourer. He's able, he's powerful, he desires to make a terrible slaughter because that's his next meal, right? No creature falls more easily prey to a lion than a lamb. That would be a precious catch for a lion. There's no battle. Lambs don't battle. They don't have armor on. They don't have swords. They just lie down and take it. The lion excels in strength. He is majesty in appearance. His voice. A lion roars, doesn't he? The lamb excels in meekness, which most people don't see as a quality. And when Jesus came here, nobody took meekness as a quality. The Romans sure didn't. I don't think the Jews really did either. Patience. What an excellent nature that Christ has. This creature, this sheep, the lambs, what are they good for? A lot of things. They're great for food, but they're great for clothing. Why did they raise sheep? For a lot of things. And then, to be offered in sacrifice to God. As a picture of a lamb that would come. We see the lion and the lamb, don't we? In Christ. Jesus is one of infinite condensation. Condescension, I'm sorry. That means to condescend. He can elevate Himself, but He also condescends. He came to earth. God on level with mankind. But I will start with the lion, the king. You see, Christ is of infinite highness. He is of infinite condescension. Infinite means 
it keeps on going. His Highness does. It doesn't stop. He's so great, so high, above all. He's higher than the kings of the earth. He's higher than the angels. He's definitely higher than us, isn't He? There's no competition. Higher than any kind of prince. Kings and princes, Edward says, are as worms of the dust before Him. He is so high. We cannot fully comprehend the Messiah. And even in eternity, with all the understanding that we'll have, we'll never get the fullness of how high He is. We will continually seek that. We'll have all the knowledge, but yet we'll get to know God more and more and more and more. His power is infinite. His knowledge is infinite. His wisdom is infinite. It's ongoing and ongoing. You can't even imagine what that means, do you? We don't know what infinite is. But He condescends graciously, not only to the angels, but also to the poor creature that's known as sinful men. He condescends to beggars. He does not despise them. He condescends little children. The most unworthy of the sinful creatures. Those who have no right to ask anything of God. And yet He comes down on man's level infinitely. We infinitely offend God's holiness. And one would say, why is it that people have to stay in hell for the rest of eternity? That's infinite. Why is that? Because their sin is infinite. You see, that's their nature. They have infinite unholiness like Christ, the lion, has infinite holiness. They owe Him for eternity, so therefore they will have to pay for eternity, which means they will never be able to pay back. Because they have nothing to offer. They don't trust in the sacrifice of Christ for their payment. So what option is there? I don't want them to be in heaven. Do you want sinful creatures in heaven? They'll all be glorified, the ones that are His. They infinitely have offend God's holiness, but He is infinite in forgiveness, though also, for His people. So great is His condescension, He came down to wash our feet of filth. The feet of sinners. He did it to the disciples. He does it to us constantly. He washes our feet, doesn't He? Spiritually speaking. Yet He has grace. He is sufficient. His justice demands that sin be judged. But yet His grace takes the place. Where is the greatness of sinners, but the greatness of this one, the Lamb? He's above all in glory, isn't He? There's no other glorious ones. But you know what? He is the lowest of all the humble people, humble angels. He is the humblest of all.
as being the highest in infinity, he's infinitely the lowest, the lion, the lamb. Wow. Humility all of his life. How he came to earth in the way that he was born in a manger. We're getting a Christmas story in here today, aren't we? You know what? Every time you talk about Christ, you're speaking the Christmas story. But I feel it like this just fits right in with the season, doesn't it? A humble, outward condition that he had. The family of Joseph, the carpenter, very poor means that they had. 30 years living really in outward poverty, in contempt as far as the people were concerned. The way that he lived on this earth, he didn't look like a king. He washed the dirty disciples' feet. He was a slave. You see, he took on the form of a slave is what we had just quoted earlier. That he was the form of a bondservant. That's a slave. And all the way to his arrest, his beatings, his death, all in humility. Like a lamb before its shearers in Isaiah 53. The humble quietness of the Spirit of Christ. He is meek and lowly and hard as it says in Matthew 11.29. He says, Come to Me, all you who are heavily laden. All who are burdened. You know what? That's an invitation to who? To everybody. It's thrown out to everybody. The invitation is there. Everybody is held responsible. He says, come to me. If you realize that your sin is a burden to you. Meek and lowly. You know what? He's ready to forgive the worst of sinners. The chief of sinners. Who's that? Some would say, Paul, because he said that. But yet I say, that's me. I'm the chief of sinners. The Lamb died for me. If you belong to the Lamb, you know what? He died for your sin. Jesus Christ is a lion in majesty and a lamb in meekness. He was full of holy reverence towards the Father. He prayed constantly before the Father, pouring His heart out, kneeling before the Father. Total obedience. But yet He has supreme dominion over heaven and earth. He yielded Himself to those dreadful sufferings before the cross and all the way to the cross. Having full knowledge of what was going to happen. Do you know what? He is the greatest example of resignation. He is the lowest as He gave Himself up like nobody else ever did. The Lamb. In Christ's greatest weakness, He was the strongest. 
He's a lamb still. Today he's a lamb. John saw him as a lamb. He's amidst the throne of his exaltation. He's the shepherd of the whole flock of lambs. Sheep. He's the shepherd. He's the sheep. But yet he is a, a lamb. We are like him. But yet he leads us. He himself is a lamb. In heaven, every knee bows to him. The angels fall down before him constantly and adore him, worship him. So do his people. This is just one day of the week where we come together to do that. But we worship Him all week long in reading His Word and in praying and serving Him. You know what? He taught us to be servants. The sheep serve, don't they? They give themselves up for food, for clothing, for sacrifice. He treats His saints with infinite condescension. He condescends. At the same time, He transcends this whole universe. It goes way beyond our thoughts. And yet at the same time, with His love, it's infinite love. Never changes. We do something bad, we sin as a Christian... His love isn't any different than it was yesterday or it's going to be later. It's always the same, which is infinite. Does that give you great courage to live this life? Mildness, patience, endearment of the Lamb, infinite greatness, infinite majesty, infinite forgiveness, gentleness to us, Yet the devils tremble at His appearance. And when the time comes, the King of kings and the Lord of lords is going to be coming right on that white horse. He's going to be like the lion in all judgment. All the great men, all the rich men, all the chief captains and the mighty men, they're going to hide themselves in dens in the rocks of mountains, and they'll cry to the mountains, and they will say, rocks fall on us. We want you to hide our faces in the wrath of the Lamb, found in chapter 6, verse 16. Then it says, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Well, He was able to stand the Lamb is standing, isn't He? Amen. And there's that excellency of the Lamb and the Lion. Christ will Himself give Himself to you by faith. You will not have wrath. You see, either your wrath takes place at the cross on your sin, and you no longer will ever have wrath again, or the wrath will be in hell for eternity. The place where we don't abode. It's not our dwelling place. It's not the dwelling place of God. We will have everlasting enjoyment. Fullness. Because He will treat you as a dear friend. 
as a brother, as a co-heir with Christ. And you shall always be where He is. He will always be with you. And you will always be beholding His glory. You'll be looking at His glory just in awe. You say, I can't imagine for the rest of eternity going, Blessed are you, God. You are so awesome and you're so, you know. But we're going, we can't take our eyes off that glory. And we'll be looking at ourselves and going, I'm not worthy. And he says, You are mine. You are mine. And so we dwell with him in a most free and intimate communion that we can't even imagine now. It's an enjoyment that we will have that I wished I could put in words. only thing I can do is I'm going to read Scripture and I've got to bow out of here. 1 John 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. And such we are for His reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him beloved. He calls us beloved. Now we are children of God. We're children, beloved. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know when He appears, get this, get this, we will be like Him. Not Him, but like Him. Because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. One more. Revelation chapter 21. Are you ready? We've got to close with this. I saw a new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw a holy city from Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. That's the Lamb. That's the Lion. That's Christ. It's the Messiah. He will dwell among them and they shall be His people. And God Himself will be among them physically. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And He who sits on the throne, we've looked at Him, chapter 4 and 5, said, Behold, look, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes the believer will inherit these things. And I will be His God and He will be my Son. Lord, thank You for this glimpse. In the Lamb and the Lion's name, the Son of God, Amen. Everybody stand. At the end of that chapter we just read is all glory and honor is given to God in praise. After reading that text, what else could you do but praise God, right? Do you guys have joy today?
Yeah, I was uh, tired of it. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, he, he just, it was bad. The first part, first part of it was.
works as well. Okay, I will just move in. You've got to try it once. Do you get ticklish? You've got ticklish spots on the Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
Justin's up there. He's been working for a year on his house, trying to get everything, all this old stuff that makes it all up. All this stuff kind of going on. Over there. Yeah. Stuff. Uh, yeah. Political stuff. And after you talk about it for a little bit, then just start talking about it. And I thought, you know, it's just that much closer for a little bit. You know, coming back is more, you know, we're even up with all of this. And just goes, yeah, just in time about the house. I know what I don't know, the Lord is coming back, but I stress myself out so much. So that little bit of thing made me think the other day. It's like, yeah, it's like, when we leave, all this stuff's just going to be I mean, because I'm in the house, and I'm like, doing this stuff like this. The thing I'm doing with my house is trying to get it set up to where there's a pantry of food. For those that, yeah, that, are, left. Yeah. that are left, uh -huh. which could be David's, could yeah. be Edie yeah. and her that's kids. That's one, so they're saying, which I think they're going to die. They're going to be like, no, no, no. But it's like, okay, because my mom, when she knew she was going to die, she started going through the house, and she was taking out, they were giving away, or anything like that. She just kind of got the house prepared. Well, there's things in my house that I need to get out of it. Things mm -hmm. that I've had that have oh, got the Koran and some mm -hmm. of the other stuff that I don't want them to confuse with everything. Yeah, a lot of people see a lot of things you just kind of like, sure, it's interesting, and it's probably all